Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Most gracious Father, as we come once again to your word, I ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word. I ask that you would strengthen me by your spirit. Indeed, that I might open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that he might give me words to do this. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, as we come to this passage, it is a rather familiar passage for for most of us, at least if you've grown up in the church, I I should say it's a familiar passage because it's a favorite of of vacation Bible school because all of the crafts are just right there in front of you and, and obvious as to exactly what you need to do. You need to make helmets and swords and breastplates of righteousness and all kinds of fun things. It's a a well-known passage. But it's a passage that I think, at least popularly in in how we think about it, is sometimes misused or or misunderstood. At times, this passage is is used in such a way that it it leads us to, to find the devil kind of hiding behind every corner, ready to jump out and get us. And certainly, we're told he is like a a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. At times, this passage is used as as this kind of pietistic call that that if you want to fight, you better go be holy and you better put on your righteousness and do your sword drills and all the things. and, And that's where, that's how it works. At times, this passage gets used to, to set up an, an us and them. And, and, and I understand that, that the age is evil that we live in. I understand that, that the world is corrupted by sin. And that Satan presently has authority. But sometimes this gets twisted into something else. What Paul wrote this passage to do was to give Christians confidence, confidence in the face of everything before us. He wrote this passage to remind us and give us the confidence of those who presently stand in the victory of Christ. 
He didn't write this to tell us how to go gain the victory of Christ. That's already been gained. He wrote it to comfort us. And so he says, coming to the end of this long section of of imperatives where he's teaching us how to live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The question, and we're going to jump ahead in the passage, we'll come back to this, but the question that immediately comes to mind is why is it that we need to be strong? And, and he tells us that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against blood and flesh, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is why we need to be strong. That we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because we really do face this wretched foe in this life. In, in, our, in our amazingly scientific world, we forget this reality very quickly. We forget that there is an entire spiritual realm, that there is real spiritual warfare, that we live in a present darkness, that this world and all that we can see and touch, all that we can run tests on is not all there is. And when we see the strife in the world, when we see the brokenness in the world, when we see viruses ravaging the world, and when we see that even in the face of this, we can't figure out how to communicate with each other, when we see constant discord and deception and anger in the world like we do, when we read the papers and there's constant rumors of war, What we need to hear is what we're told in this passage. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Yes, that is how this battle at times manifests itself, to be sure. To be sure. But what we have to understand is that what we are up against is not just other humans that we may be able to match wits with or we may be able to match strength with or we may be able to stand beside. We are up against something far greater than that. The Bible is clear at a number of points. And we don't like thinking about these realities, but the Bible is clear at a number of points that the whole world, as John writes, lies in the power of the evil one. He's writing this post-resurrection. He's writing this after the finished work of Christ. Because he understands the point of Jesus' words in Luke 22 when he said, Yes, Satan, you will get your hour. 
And that's beautifully permissive and beautifully limiting. But at the same time, it is sobering, isn't it? It's beautifully permissive in the, in the sense that, that we see that, that the power that Satan has, the authority that he has, the damage that he's able to inflict, the tribulation, the persecution that he can bring is only by the permission of the sovereign God of all creation. He is not acting outside of God's will. And we can't, we just can't put all of those pieces together in a way that satisfies our intellectual curiosities about how all of that works. We can affirm, as the confession of faith does, that God is absolutely sovereign, yet he is not the author of sin. And we hold that intention because that's how the Bible presents it to us. It's beautifully limited. Jesus said, you'll have your hour. It will come to an end. The timer will go off. And as we read in the book of Revelation, he will be cast into the lake of fire where he is bound forever and will rejoice but it's sobering because we live now in that hour. We live now in what Paul calls the present evil age. We live now in this present darkness. We live now in the time that Jesus told his disciples was coming in John 14 when he said he would leave and he told them the spirit would come. But he also told them that the one who had power was coming. That's where we live. That's where we live. And as Martin Luther so beautifully puts it in his hymn, did we in our own strength confide, our striving, our attempts, our works, our, our everything that we could give it would be losing. It simply wouldn't be enough. And there's no way it ever could be. For a brief moment, I trained jujitsu. My oldest daughter did it a lot and she was better than I am, but I was stronger so I didn't let her win. But I trained, and the gym that I trained at, their, their mantra, I don't know if that's the right word, but when they would give some instruction, they would clap and say, strive. That was their thing, strive. And I liked that because it was encouraging. Until I had to fight someone, because almost everybody at the gym over age 10 was better than I was. And they liked beating up the old guy, especially this one kid. And my striving, it didn't matter how bold it was, was losing every time because they knew more than I did. They were stronger and quicker and, and better trained than I was. And when I was thinking I was about to do something that was going to set some move up, they saw it coming the whole time and were waiting for me to do that to use it against me. 
This is the reality of trying to grapple with Satan in our strength. Our striving will be losing every time. Paul tells us that that we're to be strong in the Lord so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. It It would do us some good to think about what these schemes are. We read back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And then in verse 27 of the same chapter, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. There we see two things that the devil works. Deceit and anger. Remember, the Bible tells us that he is the father of lies. That he was a liar from the beginning. And this is exactly what we see. The story opens with this beautiful garden. This paradise that God has created for Adam and Eve. But then there's this serpent that comes in deceiving. And leading everything into a lie for all eternity. This is what he does. This is why he's so hard to contend with in part. It's because he's not dealing truthfully. He's crafty. Many have lamented over the last few years as we've wrestled with this pandemic that, that it, it feels like we don't know who to listen to. You, you read these people and, and this is what is said and you read these people and this is what is said and, 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 and there's some overlap in what they said, but then there's, there's incredible disconnects and it's just maddening. It's maddening. Everywhere that we see deceit, we see the work of Satan. Everywhere that we see lies being told, even from human mouths, even from our mouths, we see the work of the devil. And this is in part why it's so difficult to stand against him. Because he's utterly untrustworthy and utterly unpredictable. In other passages, we see that his work, his schemes are temptation, that his desire is to lead us off into sin, that that, that he will use whatever he can to tempt us into sin. Now, I understand that that we need to be careful and and not just go down the path of the devil made me do it. We need to take responsibility and repent of our sins. But we also must understand that Satan is real and is at work in these ways. It does us no good to say about all of our sin, oh, well, the devil made me do it, as if somehow that gets us out of any responsibility. It equally does us no good to forget that he prowls around, that he is a tempter, that he knows where we are weak, and that he comes after us. 
Rather, we must hold both of those realities. If I sin, it is because I am a sinner. And I chose my flesh and wanted to give it life rather than put it to death. And I must repent. But I also must be aware that the devil is out there and he desires nothing more than for me to fail and for you to fail. We see in the parable of the good seed and the bad seed that one of the things he does is he sows bad seed in the church. He brings into the body of Christ with his wily ways those who lead others into sin and those who are lawbreakers and delight in being so. This is the work of Satan. But one of the most grievous works that we see him do and that we feel him do is he accuses us. Constantly. He is the accuser. He is the one. He is the voice that you hear when you're wrestling with with some sin and, and all of your sins, all of your failures, all of your frustrations, all of your regrets, all of a sudden are just being heaped on you. How could God love you? How could God love you, you pornographer, you drunk, you cheat, you liar, you fool? How could he love you? You've done all of this. This is who you really are. He accuses us. And he's not omnipotent, but he knows a lot. And he knows what we carry in our shame. And he knows how to use it. And this is what we're against. And this is why it's so hard. Because when we hear this lying, accusing tempter come at us in all of these ways, It's so easy to believe it. It's so easy to look at all that is said and then look at ourselves and go, yeah. What was I thinking? What was I thinking that I could be righteous? What was I thinking that I could be loved by God? What was I thinking? that Jesus had anything for me. We go back to the beginning of the passage now. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Greek is a passive imperative. Be strengthened. It's not, he's not telling us to go to the religious gym and start pumping holy iron and get strong. That's not what's going on here. He's telling us to go to the kind of gym that I look for that, that is entirely passive and you're made strong. That's the gym he's telling us to go to and it is Christ himself. 
be strengthened where? How? By whom? In the Lord and in the strength of his might. Why does he tell us to go there? Because Paul knew before Martin Luther knew that our striving would be losing. But in Christ, the victory is won. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. See, what He is telling us to do here is to stand on the high ground that Christ has already claimed for us. He's not calling us to go take the hill. He's saying it's been taken. The victory has been won. Christ is the victor. He is the captain in the well-fought fight. He is the triumphant king whose kingdom will have no end. He is the one who reigns forever. He has conquered sin and death. Be strong in him, not in you, where there is no strength. In him. In him. That's how we can stand. Because we are found in Jesus. And isn't this what the people of God are told over and over? Do not fear. Be strong. Over and over. Remember the story when the spies go into the promised land, one from from each tribe, and they go in and they spy out the land, and it's this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey, with with grapes that that if the pictures that we draw are right are absolutely like insanely huge, and they bring them back carried on a pole between two men. Like, I don't know if there's like a little bundle of grapes on this pole, and it was just this big dramatic scene, or if their grapes were of a different sort. But The point was that the land was amazing. But there was one problem. The people came back and they said, yeah, we're like grasshoppers before these people. They're huge. If we go and try to fight them, we lose. Our striving will be losing. They would have saying that boldly. But there were these two men. Joshua and Caleb who stepped up and boldly reminded the sons of Israel we do not have to fear because this is God's work. He is our strength. He is the one who will bring us victory. He is the one. He is the one who will do this. Not us. Him. And battle after battle, that's how they're called to go in. Think about the battle of Jericho. Their strength was walk around the city and toot some horns. Not exactly like the method that's going to be studied in war school. Men, here's how you blow a bugle. It's not going to work. But that's the whole point. That's the whole point of that scene. 
It wasn't about their strength. It wasn't about their military prowess. It wasn't about their ability. It was about the fact that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. It was about the fact that their God would topple Jericho. It was about the fact that their God, our God, will keep his promises and we can trust him. And that hasn't changed. Not at all. We should be more sure of these promises now because the tomb is empty. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the one who conquered death. Be strong in the one who conquered the one that we're being told to stand against who has the power of death. Jesus has conquered him and what he has the power to do. Be strong in him. See, what Paul was writing to do here wasn't to whip everybody up into a frenzy of spiritual battle that we might go gain the victory. He was writing to comfort us with the fact that the victory had been won and we can stand in it. Notice, as we read through this passage He never tells them to charge. He never tells them to fight. He just says, be strong in the Lord and strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. That's what he's calling us to do. To stand in Christ. Because in Christ, the victory is certain. And all of these spiritual forces that he names these cosmic powers, the rulers, the authorities, they cannot conquer Christ. They cannot take the victory. And they cannot have anyone that belongs to Jesus. Of all those, he tells us, that the Father gave me, I will lose none. None. Death itself cannot rip us out of our Savior's hands. He will lose none. We go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and we read this. In verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us to believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. We read in chapter 3, 
Beginning in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We go over to what many see as the companion letter to Ephesians, the book of Colossians, and we read this. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Or we read on down and we hear these wonderful words. He is the image of the first of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you see what we're being told? These powers that are coming against us are his creation. These powers that are coming against us are those entities that he has been set over. That he rules over. Or we read later in chapter 2 of Colossians. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed them. By his work on the cross. Do you understand that? Do you understand that, that, that what we face with, with all its armament and, and, and all that, that it's presenting is a lie? It, it would be similar to, to, to finding yourself in a hard situation at night on the street where someone pulls a gun and then you realize... That's a water gun. You can do nothing. You have no power. I will stand here and you can squirt me till the gun is empty. That's the position we're in in Christ. Those who stand against us by his finished work on the cross, by his life and death and resurrection have been conquered and have been disarmed, but they haven't caught on yet. And so they keep coming. But we in Christ can stand. We can stand. And we can take up the armor of God that we'll look at next week and put it on that we might be able to stand. See, what Paul is calling us to here is taking our position in Christ on the hill of victory and just standing there. 
just standing there. Not winning the battle, standing in the victory of Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, for the hope that it gives us. For the victory that it announces. For the victory that Christ won for us. That, that you're not foolishly calling us in our weakness to somehow go gain the victory, but to be strong in the one who has. And to stand here and watch you work our redemption and our perseverance and watch you keep us to the very end. because the victory is already secure. By your spirit, would you teach us to stand in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.